Focus on your breathing. Silence your mind. Drink warm milk. Stay away from electronics. Keep the room dark. Take pills. All the ways the internet has told me to fall asleep. And they're all bullshit. For most everyone else, sleep is simple, really. You just lie down and suddenly eight hours have passed. Those people don't need to worry about what happens if they can't fall asleep. Not like me. Our entire existence boils down to the constant string of thought waving its way through our heads and our thoughts are what we are. But when you're left alone with those thoughts, for hours and hours, cut off from all external stimuli, that ever-present tiny little voice becomes something like torture. Very much like torture, in fact. I likened it to Chinese water torture, the practice of tying someone up and having a drop of water fall on their head at fixed intervals. Drip, drip, drip. It becomes a certainty. All that they can really focus on is the next drop of water. That's what it was like when I would try to sleep. One thought, and then another, and another, and another. Never letting my mind rest. It had been like that for as long as I could remember. Even as a little child, I would lie awake in bed, silently conversing with my stuffed animals. As I grew older, however, my insomnia became more of an issue. It held much more weight in my life than my old conversations with Mr. Teddy Bear. Of course, there were the obvious side effects. I lived like a zombie, only half in touch with the world. My mind, in its ceaseless need to think, jumped around, never able to focus on one thought. I was honestly fine with that part. The part I was not fine with were the things that stood in the corner of my bedroom when I couldn't sleep. People who sleep normally sometimes experience nightmares. Their own sleeping minds work against them to create terrifying situations. Monsters, spiders, murderers. There are no limits. The thing is, though, that those people wake up and their nightmares are gone. But my nightmares were real, physical things. And they were different every time. I've had the typical fears. Giant spiders, clowns, chainsaw murderers and such. But every now and then, I got creatures. Horrid abominations that were particularly unpleasant. They had ways beyond my understanding of keeping my room dark, of preventing lights from working so I never got to make out more of their images than the moonlight would allow. The occurrences, my own twisted version of nightmares, have been happening ever since I moved into my own apartment. Nightmares are generally a result of stress, so my theory is that the stress of moving out on my own caused these nightmares. But somewhere along the line, something went wrong. My nightmares were not confined to my head. I didn't know why. I just knew that they were very real. The memory of the first time it ever happened is permanently engraved into my mind. How could I forget? It was the first week in my new apartment. I hadn't even unpacked, and I was swamped with work for my new desk job. Accounting. All of the stress had led to another of the all-so-familiar sleepless nights, but it was distinctly different. Rather than tossing and turning, I 
found myself to be lying quite still under my thin covers, unable to focus on anything other than my newfound headache. Headache's probably not the best way to put it. Hammering migraine is a better term. Pulsating waves of pain radiated from my skull. Even the soft touch of my pillow was enough to set my teeth on edge. I let out a groan of agony, and that seemed to be the start of it all. A crackling chuckle, similar to that of a smoker, raspy and dry, came out of the darkness of my room, responding to my pain. And just like that, my headache was gone, but it was replaced with a skin-chilling fear that led me to sit bolt upright. The chuckle continued. It came from the far corner, and I very much knew that I was not alone in my own bedroom. It had been a cloudy night, so all I could do was squint into the darkness. Eventually, my eyes managed to make out the dark outline. It was a person. Sort of. I could make out two struts of curly hair shooting out of the side of a bald head, all topped with a very tiny top hat. I didn't need to turn on my bedside lamp, which I was far too afraid to do regardless, to know that it was a clown. There had been a clown standing in the corner of my room, chuckling continuously. Hours went by as I watched him, but he never moved, and he never stopped that damn laugh. I hadn't slept much around that time, perhaps as little as four hours of sleep in the previous 48 hours, and that lack of sleep was what nearly got me killed. My thoughts were numb and out of focus, which is why at some point I managed to write off the clown silhouette in the corner as a fatigue-induced hallucination. With that conclusion easing my mind, it had been easy to eventually slip off and sleep. But that sleep was short-lived. I was forced to wake by a pair of gloved hands around my throat, and all I could manage to do was flail my arms around, doing absolutely nothing to remove the weight from my windpipe. My entire body burned, desperate for air, and I felt that I was not going to see the morning. Until a dim light briefly illuminated my window. It was a lone car, a solitary set of headlights driving past in the night. It saved my life. For the briefest of seconds, I could see the face of my assailant, all the paint of a clown with none of the charm. The entirety of his flesh was white as a sheet, completely contrasting the horrid splash of red around his mouth, blood, or paint. It was still disgusting. The eyes were the worst part. The cold pupils were almost impossible to make out under the murky layer of darkness covering the surface, but I could tell they were still looking directly at me as he crushed my throat. But the moment I saw him in the flash of headlights, his grip released. All I could do was stare and try to suck in narrow breaths as the clown climbed off my bed and backed into his corner. Shakily, I sat up, never looking away from the clown, and I reached over to flick on my bedside lamp. The room remained dark. I hit the switch again and again, but the room remained dark. The clown once more began to chuckle. There was no way in hell that I could bring myself to move, to run, to call the police. All I did was sit and stare. And I could feel the clown stare back. 
It wasn't until the sun shone through my window that the clown disappeared. I just blinked and he was gone. I didn't want to acknowledge it as real. I just wanted to dismiss it for what it was. A nightmare. But the bruises on my neck would not allow me to do such a thing. Yet, if I went to a doctor, I'd certainly be labeled insane. Not to mention that if I called in sick so early in my career, I'd lose my job. So, I went into work, made up some tale of getting jumped by a vagrant to explain the bruises, and tried to get on with my life. Which was very difficult, considering I was met by a different creature the following night. A large spider, and the night after that, a machete murderer, and so on. Which is what led me to begin drinking. My first visit to the local bar was two weeks after the first uh, visitor. The only sleep I'd had in that time period were the few minutes at a time I was able to get away with at work and 40 minutes during lunch. Of course, at first, I didn't take it lying down. No technology would work when they were present, and they only appeared during night hours, but I never had time to sleep during the day. I thought of everything a sensible person would think of, I thought about moving, about sleeping in other places, but a visit to a hotel yielded negative results. Getting an exorcism in, even briefly, I thought about ending my life. Those weeks were hell, and I was quickly losing my motivation to push on. But on my first night of trying to drink the trouble away, almost as soon as I entered the bar, I became a cliché. I fell in love. The bartender, a soft-spoken, lanky brunette, Kathleen, was the most attractive woman I'd ever seen, so of course I made a fool of myself trying to talk with her. I was sleep-deprived and drunk, yet for some reason she took an immediate liking to me. She was quick to laugh at my poor jokes and didn't seem off-put at all by the excessive complaining I did about my job. Even drunk, I managed to avoid bringing up my nighttime companions. Although, by the end of the first night with her, I felt as if I could trust her with that knowledge. But I held off. It's probably a good thing I did, too, seeing as how she asked for my phone number before I left the bar. That night was the first time I'd been happy in weeks. I'd almost let myself believe all my problems had gone away. A pretty girl and a stomach full of beer was all it took for me to let my guard down. And I paid for it. That night, I climbed into my bedside chair with no intention of sleep. I'd let my guard down, but I had in no way allowed myself to forget the creatures and the night. Even if I didn't mean to sleep, it became quite difficult to focus on staying awake when my mind wandered to thoughts of Kathleen. Minutes, maybe hours, passed as I replayed our conversation. I'm not a witty person when I'm sober, and I'm even less witty while drunk. The last thought I had before losing the battle with my eyelids was that she must have been twice as drunk as I to be laughing at my jokes. A searing pain in my legs woke me up screaming. The normal light of my window was blocked by a hazy figure, tall with jagged arms that bent in too many places, and the entirety of its skin withered with needle-like protrusions. I figured that part out because they were being used to shred the skin on my legs. 
not ashamed to admit that I screamed bloody murder. It didn't deter the nightmare at all. It just leaned further over me and reached toward my face with a razored tendril. The movement was slow and mocking. It was drawing out the anticipated pain. I was so focused on that one tendril that it almost drowned out the pain of my legs. The creature slowly drew closer and it towered over me as it finally connected with my cheek. There was only a pinprick of pain. The moment the monster touched my face, my phone buzzed and lit up, and once I could see it, the entire horrifying figure, the nightmare receded to its spot in the corner. My floor was soaked with the blood seeping from my legs and probably urine as well, but all I could think to do was to grab at the phone. I didn't understand at the time. Normally, nothing electronic worked when the nightmares were watching me, yet the phone lit up when I hit the button. And the screen flashed, a text from Kathleen. Sorry to text you so late. I couldn't sleep. I know you're probably in bed, but I just couldn't wait to ask if you'd like to have dinner to sometime. I called her. I was completely incoherent, sobbing and raving. I told her about the monsters in my room, the cuts on my legs, and how she just saved my life. All at two in the morning, the night after I met her, but she didn't hang up. She listened. And, bless her perfect heart, she asked, Where do you live? I'll come over. I told her to let herself in, and when she arrived, I don't think she expected me to actually have torn up legs. There was a lot of freaking out, rushing around. I imagine I lost a lot of blood, which is why it all seemed so hazy, but I know that Kathleen forced me to go to the hospital. Or, rather, she called an ambulance while consulting me, but I'm glad she did. I woke up in the hospital to her smiling face. I was so confused. Where am I? The hospital. You've been asleep for two days. Asleep? The word sounded so strange coming out of my mouth. Sleep was something for normal people, a fairy tale beyond my grasp. Sleep was something that came in 15-minute flashes here and there, never in hours. <laughs> yes, asleep. They're still trying to figure out what happened to you. They think some psycho broke into your apartment, but I'm glad you're okay. I've been here with you the whole time. Why? Far from the best choice of words to show gratitude. Why are you being so nice to me? Kathleen gave a tight grin in response. You just seem so lost. When I first saw you, it was like you were calling out for help. I don't really understand it either, but I already feel so connected to you. Oh, was all I replied, but in my defense, I was still groggy. Thank you so much. We were quiet for a while until she softly asked, Hey, when you called me, you said I saved your life. What do you mean? The memory of the creature flashed through my mind, and I must have grimaced. She glanced down at my cuts. You weren't planning on killing... on suicide, were you? Did you do that to yourself? 
No, no, it's... It's worse than that, I responded. It's just... I have... Nightmares. For some reason she didn't question that. Well, you're in no condition to be on your own. How about I spend the night with you and try to get rid of those bad dreams? She offered, and then seemed to understand what she had just said. I mean, just be there. Nothing sexual. No, no, no. I cut her off. The thought of how she might react to the monsters or how they might react to her. I wouldn't have it. You've done so much, and I still don't understand why, to be completely honest, but I don't want you to get hurt by this. She placed her hand on my cheek, opposite to where the nightmare had prodded me. I'm doing so much for you, because your eyes are the saddest I've ever seen. Whatever it is you're facing, it's time to stop trying on your own. I'm coming to your place once you get out of here. There was no arguing beyond that. The cuts on my legs were many, but not deep, so I was actually able to walk out of there on my own feet, with Kathleen refusing to let go of my arm. We made it back to my apartment, and I insisted upon cooking for her, and we simply sat at the little kitchen table and talked. We made small talk about everything and anything yet. There wasn't a single subject that we had opposing views. She was the perfect girl, which is why it was so difficult for me to ask her to leave. Our conversation had been effortless and warm, but I shattered the mood. I... I need you to leave now. It's getting late and you shouldn't be here overnight. She ignored the request. Ah, time for the meat of the matter. So what are these nightmares that would compel you to turn away a pretty lady offering to spend a night? I suppose I just didn't want her to leave, so I figured screw it and I tried telling the truth. They're not really nightmares. They're monsters. I know I sound crazy, and I probably am, but for the last few weeks I haven't been sleeping. There have been these things in my room at night, watching me, waiting for me to stop watching them. If I look away, they... They come for me. I was almost strangled, and now my legs... You're not lying, are you? Her question wasn't patronizing in the slightest. She genuinely believed me which led me to believe that perhaps I wasn't the crazy one, but I no longer had the strength or desire to refuse her, as she said. Let's go to your bed. We'll face them together. A few minutes later, and we were doing something that few adults had ever done before. Sitting in bed with a stranger they just met at a bar, yet doing absolutely nothing other than going to sleep. I made sure to leave every light in the room on, and Kathleen didn't seem to mind. Not like it mattered, though. As soon as we both settled down under the covers, the lights flickered off on their own. Her breath caught at the same time as mine. The two of us slowly sat back upright in the dark room, and I had the unshakable feeling that I should not have allowed Kathleen to stay. My voice was a hoarse whisper. They control the lights. They don't let me see them. 
She remained silent, and I followed suit as it became clear that we were not the only ones in the room. An all-too-familiar rasping arose from the far corner. My first waking nightmare. The clown. She could see it, too. Kathleen's voice was faint, even though she sat so close. When did this start? When I moved in here and got a new job, I replied dimly. My blood ran cold as the clown let out its humorless chuckle and my mind ran rampant with newly formed fears. It was the one thing for me to face the monsters. At least they ignored me when I focused on them. But what if the clown attacked Kathleen? There are more, she pointed out. I kept my eyes plastered on the darkness of the room. A dim moonlight leaking through the shades illuminated that awful fact. Kathleen was correct. More creatures lined the walls of the room surrounding the bed, all staring at the two human occupants. What actually happened to you, Lex? She asked faintly. I was too absorbed in our surroundings to realize the oddity of the question. I fell asleep. One of them got to me. And with a sinking realization, I saw the very same buzzing outline of the needle creature that had torn apart my flesh. But Kathleen continued to press on. And what stopped it? You. You messaging me. And you said one of them tried to strangle you. What stopped that one? Someone's headlights. I responded numbly as my eyes further adjusted to the darkness and revealed the four-foot tarantula clinging to one of the walls. More of the creatures appeared with every second, and all I could think about was the horrible things that they would do to Kathleen if I didn't keep my eyes on them. And one of them took a step forward. I whipped my head toward it, the machete murderer. But when I faced it, one of the other creatures drew closer. I couldn't watch all of them. Somehow Kathleen managed to keep talking. They started when you had a big change in your life, and human interaction made them go away. We need to make a run for it, I replied, only half listening to her as the mob of nightmare closed in on the bed. There's never been more than one. I looked to my right, and the spider was no longer on the wall, but on the ceiling overhead, and when I looked back down, the needle monster was almost within arm's reach. No matter which way I turned, they managed to draw in closer. All I could manage to do was whimper. You go. Maybe they just want me. She cut me off with a kiss. Her entire body weight flung against mine she pinned me against the pillows. My mind was in a panic. I couldn't see a single nightmare, so I figured they must be about to pounce. But still she pressed against me, and I guess I also kissed back. Might as well enjoy our last moment, but... Nothing happened. She broke away. We both drew in breath. Then I gasped as I saw the empty bedroom around us. The lights flickered on as she rolled back to her side of the bed. How? You told me yourself, she replied with a relieved giggle. Interaction makes them go away, be it a stranger driving by or someone texting you in the middle of the night. Or maybe the most intense kiss of my life. They're gone. That's all I could think. And then... How are you so amazing? I'm not. I'm really not. 
I get lonely, I do stupid things, like call crazy drunks I just met and work in a bar to make a living. I'm anything but perfect. The monsters were gone, and I got the impression they weren't coming back, not as long as Kathleen was with me. Now it was my turn to kiss her, and when it was all over, I said, Well, you're perfect to me. She just grinned and curled up under the covers, somehow ready to go to sleep. Come on. We need some sleep. And for the first time in weeks, I was able to let my head sink into my pillow without worry. The end to a horrid chapter in my life, all thanks to the amazing bartender at my side. She was my hero. And I had to find a way to put it into words. I needed to express my true gratitude, and it took a while, but I got it. I wrapped my arm around her and said, You're my dream come true. We called them fallen angels. They were strung up by their ankles and suspended from trees. There was always barbed wire wrapped all around the body. Sliced the skin, ripped the tissue, but it was worse if they struggled. Ideally, they would die of dehydration. But this mercy was extended to only a very fortunate few. Most of the time, they would dangle from the branches for hours as the barbs tore their flesh and the pressure built in their heads. When upright, the heart doesn't have to pump that blood that hard to circulate through the brain. Gravity does most of the work to get it back down. Consequently, the blood vessels up there are smaller and thinner than in the rest of the body. I'd rather be hung, personally. I'd much prefer the struggling for breath and kicking the air and the white-hot agony of my vertebrae coming apart than waiting for the blood to pull in my head, clot, and eventually burst the veins and feel the warm, sticky liquid drip out of my eyes, nose, mouth, and ears. A noose would be kinder, and suffocation gentler. There's something in there, my brother would tell me from the porch, pointing his cigarette toward the trees. He watches people, strings up the one it don't like. As paranoid as he was, I agreed with him. He spent a lot of time on that porch. I don't let him smoke in the house. He sat out there, cigarette in one hand, gun in the other, just watching the woods and waiting for something to come out. One night I heard him yelling, frantically trying to get my attention. Gunshot after gunshot exploded through the air and intermingled with his crazed screaming. I ran out onto the porch to find my brother in a panic that was slowly turning to rage. Guns don't do shit. I saw them. Their eyes were just peering out from the trees, fucking watching me. They almost glowed. He emphatically pointed to the woods behind our house, trying to show me the eyes that weren't there. So reason he'd wake up the whole neighborhood. My brother had this habit of keeping his cigarette between his teeth when he talked. It didn't matter how important what he said was. I could only see the glowing end of the cigarette bobbing up and down as the words fell out. 
fucking infuriating. It was one of those trivial things that finds its way under your skin and stays there, tapping at the inside of your skull. I'd expressed my displeasure several times, but he didn't seem to care much. I must have been giving him a look this time, because he yanked the cigarette out of his mouth and let it limply dangle in his fingers. I will not be strung up in those woods. He spit his final words at me before stomping out his remaining half-cigarette and storming inside. I wasn't worried that the neighbors would call the police. They knew my brother, and they knew the woods. It was amazing the things you'd get away with in this town. Everybody here was afraid, but more than that, they were constantly on edge, as if their whole body seethed with anticipation. The paranoia that was so ingrained into these people could only be born out of desperation. It seemed that they had tried everything. Guns, knives, brute force. Shit, one time someone tried to light the whole forest on fire. Kids played in the street, or preferably if they had friends from the next subdivision in the backyards in the next neighborhood over. When they grabbed their flashlights in the middle of the night, they would tell stories about the woods. They never talked about Bloody Mary or Slender Man, because in Fairdale, the real horror lived ten feet behind their homes. I don't think anyone in town that had seen the creatures in the woods, but we all knew what they looked like. The descriptions were spread in passing whispers and hushed voices out of fear that they were listening. All the children spoke softly but emphatically about their gray skin, six-inch fingers, and hollow, infinite sockets carved deep into their skull. They seemed almost human. And maybe they once were. Once that I can remember, a kid went to the forest. A bunch of others dared him, too. They waited in the shadows between the houses, hearts pounding even though they weren't the ones going in. In silence, they watched him glance back, hoping they would call the whole thing off. And reluctantly, he submerged himself into the trees. There was the snapping of twigs, and then, abruptly, a stillness. The group did not take their eyes off the woods, yet they could see the fear among their friends. They waited for a minute, surprisingly, before cautiously taking a few steps backward, then turning and sprinting away. The boy was gone. The very next day, a group of police officers, most of whom resigned that same day, were sent in after him. Let me tell you, he struggled. The wire tore through the skin of his abdomen, leaving his internal organs to spill out and hang from his body. After that day, no children went into the woods. They didn't even have to be told not to. After the paper ran that story, Fairdale lost its mind. Sure, bodies turned up every other week, but it was never a child. The kind of death that was somehow more than a murder. It was... A disaster, a tragedy. I lived right on the edge of those woods, and that incident stuck with me. 
it somehow made the whole thing real. These things were here, right behind my house. My last night in Fairdale was hopefully the worst of my life. My brother was outside smoking. I was on the couch, mostly asleep. I'm not a heavy sleeper, so I was glad when the small noises around me seemed to quiet down, but just as I was about to drift off, my mother fired that goddamn gun about 3,000 times, ran inside, slammed the door behind him, his fucking cigarette still lit, clamped fiercely between his teeth. I shot up, dazed and unsure of what was happening. Hands trembling, my brother ran to all the doors and windows, making sure they were locked. What the fuck, man? I rubbed my eyes, wishing that I was sleeping. He sat on the coffee table inches from me, voice raspy and frightened. I saw them. They came out. His eyes were crazed. His mouth was running faster than his head. He inadvertently blew smoke from his lips with every rushed word and forced breath. I didn't even know you could see him. My mouth opened, but before I could speak, I heard something tapping on the sliding glass door. My jaw hung ajar, and my brother and I froze instinctively. It was too soft to be a knock, but too hard to be the wind. A moment later, it came again. brother whispered. His eyes were wild, darting across the room as if he were afraid to leave them in one place for too long. They don't like me. You're sure you saw them? My voice was barely audible. Somehow I knew that they could hear me anyway. I first noticed them in the corner of my eye, just one at first, but, but more came. Tap, tap, tap. Tall. They were tall. Until they started moving, I thought they were trees. Their arms hang at their sides, and they're as gangly as branches. Who gave them away was the skin. Looked just like ash. Tap, tap, tap. While the sound did not increase in volume, they came to new places. I heard them still from the door. But now they were also at the windows, sides of the house, and most disturbingly, the roof. They don't have faces. I mean, they've got eyes, but not really. They've just got these holes. My brother made circles with his pointer finger and thumb and held them up over his own eyes. And the holes have this, this black shit coming out of them dripping down their heads. I think they could be human if they wanted to be. Tap, tap, tap. My palms were clammy and I broke out in a cold sweat. I could picture their long, bony fingers wrapping on the house, their not eyes inches from the window waiting for us to draw back the curtain and meet their gaze. Until that moment I didn't think I'd ever been truly afraid. It echoed all around us. We knew we couldn't leave, and even if we called someone, what good would it do? I didn't think that anything could save us. Our only option was to wait and hope that we had not received a death sentence. Tap, 
tap, tap. I now could hear it coming from beneath the house. These things were everywhere. It scared me that they just didn't burst in, that they were waiting for something, and it scared me more that I didn't know what. I couldn't do anything but wait. This isn't how I wanted to die. My brother and I sat on the floor between the couch and coffee table and hoped it would end. What do you think they are? I asked. We'd heard all the stories, but these creatures had no name. They simply existed. They were always here, and we did everything we could to leave them alone, to live without them. And for the most part, they let us. They took some people, I suppose, to make an example. It was a constant reminder of the fear, and maybe it kept this town in line. My brother's head was bowed, and his eyes would not meet mine. He lit his fourth cigarette taking a long drag and holding it deep in his lungs before releasing it. With his eyes still fixed at the floor, he said the only words that have ever struck real fear into my core. Jimmy, I... Jimmy, I think they're God. I could only hear the tapping and feel them staring into me from all directions. Despite the emptiness of the house... We knew that they were, in some way, both inside and outside. I forced my eyes shut, and in the darkness I was only able to picture their elongated limbs hanging at their sides, their shoulders hunched to fit under low ceilings. God, I could feel the inky ooze dripping onto my hair. I refused to open my eyes, because if I did, they might have been there. If they remained closed, it was easier to pretend. Tap, tap, tap. My brother promised me that he would stay awake all night. He swore. Grabbing a pillow from the couch, he handed it to me and insisted that I slept. I argued, but I was so tired. Eventually, I did fall asleep, albeit against my will. Tap, tap, tap. It had to be noon when I awoke. I was alone. I checked the whole house and even mustered up the nerve to step onto the porch, but I was alone. Dead or alive, I had to find my brother. I went into the woods. I think... I think that was the biggest fuck-up of my entire life. After a deep breath, I stepped into the tree line. The sun was high in the afternoon sky, but it was impossibly dark inside that forest, and even more unbelievably silent. I was the only thing that disturbed the stillness. I'll be honest here and say that I didn't have a plan. I had no idea where to look for my brother, and I didn't know how I would react if I found him in the branches. When I stopped in a small clearing to look around, the blurs at the corners of my vision began to move. I knew what it was. I froze, and I think that even my heart stopped beating. Maybe they wouldn't see me. Maybe they'd leave. Maybe I was losing my mind. They got closer to me, close enough to see. If they didn't move, they could be the trees, but if they did... They were something that shouldn't have been allowed to exist. I shut my eyes and ran blindly 
through the forest, running into trees and scraping my arms on low-hanging branches. Miraculously, I made it out. I didn't stop running until I threw myself in the car. I sped down the highway and checked into a motel, though it took me an extra hour to fall asleep that night. I kept the TV turned up just in case they came tapping. I never saw my brother or Fairdale ever again. I'm no genius, but I knew when to get the fuck out of that town. I moved to a new state, this time making sure I lived in the city, away from the woods. Even though years and miles have passed since that night, every so often I hear the tapping again. With the knowledge that I can never escape my hometown, I'm left with nothing else to do but wait. Until it's my turn. And just hope that I dehydrate. <laughs>